Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Project Zion podcast. This is Brittany Mangelson, and I'm going to be your host for today for another edition in our Fair Trade series, where we talk all about faith transitions. I am here with my friend Spencer Greenhall, who is a professor of technology at the University of Kentucky. And I've known Spencer for a couple of years now. Um, He's been attending the online ministry called Forward with Community that is for Latter-day Seekers, Uh, but he was recently confirmed uh, into Community of Christ, and so we are going to talk a little bit about his faith transition story. So Spencer, welcome, and why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi, Brittany. Thank you so much. Uh, Really excited to be here. So I'm Spencer. Uh, I live with my partner and our young daughter in central Kentucky, uh, in Lexington, Fayette County, Uh, And as Brittany mentioned, uh, I am a professor at the University of Kentucky. Uh, I am a former French teacher, actually. My bachelor's degree is in French teaching. I have a graduate degree in educational technology. Uh, And so I transitioned from one education job to another, and then I transitioned from one technology field to another. It's been kind of fun to do that. And I really like my job at UK. Um, In my particular case, being a professor means that about half my job is teaching classes on computer fundamentals, data science, web content management, lots of nerdy things. And then the other half of my job is doing research, which is also nerdy and wonderful. I I study how social media is used in contexts like education, which is my real specialty, but then also sometimes um, in religious or political communities. And I am just a nerd across the board. Uh, Even when I'm not at work, I love lots of nerdy things, uh, books, comics, podcasts, tabletop games. And if any of it is in French, then I turn into a mega nerd because even though that's not part of my professional life anymore, it's a real big passion of mine. And so I try and keep up with the language skills that I've developed over the years. That is awesome. Uh, I am... As you know, I am very intrigued by your work with social media and how it is impacting the religious landscape and and just communities in general. So I'm I'm excited to have this conversation and to learn a little bit more about you and your faith transition story. So Spencer, uh, with these interviews, we just kind of start at the beginning, whatever the beginning looks like for you. Uh, growing up, what did church look like? What did faith look like? Um, how important was God's spirituality? I'm not sure where you grew up, but just just start telling your story. So I, I grew up, well, I, I moved around a lot when I was a kid, but if there was one thing that was constant, it was church. Uh, I was born and raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and uh, with a long family history in that church going all the way back to the mid-19th uh, century, uh, I was telling you before we started recording that uh, in a weird sort of way, my first and last names are both kind of Mormon, right? They're not particularly common even within Mormon circles, but they're more uh, common in Mormon circles than they are in uh, in in the U.S. broadly. And that was kind of a, a culture shock when I moved to uh, Utah for college and, and people actually recognized my last name. It was a little bit weird. 
so uh, that was the consistency. But we, we did move around a lot when I was a kid. That was um, mostly a great experience. Got to live in a few different places. I don't remember a lot of it, though, because when I was still pretty young, we moved to northern Kentucky, so just south of Cincinnati on the other side of the Ohio River. I uh, grew up in a town called Florence, which has a semi-famous water tower. Uh, if you're from the area, it is notable, but people from outside don't uh, recognize it all that well. And uh, church was really, really important for me personally and, and also for my, my whole family. And I think a lot of that was true just on its own, uh, but also in Northern Kentucky, there are not a lot of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So in, in some ways it was uh, a really important part of my identity, both because I appreciated it on its own terms, uh, but also because it, it kind of set me apart in the classroom or um, in whatever social situation that I was in that wasn't church. That was one of my defining features. And uh, I think that, that is, is kind of an important thing for, for me to keep in mind. So uh, church was really important. I was a, a good church kid, right? I was always talking to, uh, I remember in you know first or second grade talking to a classmate about my beliefs on the bus as though I knew anything and as though she were interested. I remember talking to social study teachers about mixing up uh, the US president, Woodrow Wilson, with the LDS president, Wilford Woodruff. Uh, that was really bothering me in fifth grade. I felt like my social studies teacher needed to know about that. I don't know that she cared, but she got an earful about it. Uh, and even like as a teenager, I think one of my biggest fights with my parents, maybe my biggest fight, was that they had family plans for a general conference weekend, and I just thought that was unacceptable. Like I was totally invested. This was uh, a big part of my identity. Um, and also a lot of my self-worth, I, I think, were tied up in a religious identity. Not always in negative ways, um, but the, I think especially that part where uh, my conception of self and my, uh, my understanding of how I was doing as a person were tied in uh, with religion in ways that would become difficult uh, a little bit later on. I can just imagine that conversation with teenager Spencer about your parents planning a, a trip and then you being like, no, it's- We over. can't do this. <laughs> it's, yeah. And that, that's who I was, right? It was, yeah. um, church came naturally to me. I was good at church. I liked being good at church. And um, it, was, it was so much of who I was, um, not just because it distinguished me from other kids in the classroom. I don't think that explains the whole thing, but I, that was also a part of it, right? Um, there just, I, 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 I thought of so much through those terms, which, you know, later on, spoilers, uh, made it difficult when I started to, 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 to reevaluate that some. And in some ways it was as much um, a transition of identity, and transition of self-conception as it was a transition of faith. Yeah, and I'm curious about your reflections on maybe like why it worked so well to you. I mean, I can guess, I mean, if the LDS church is very program related and it, it, there's like a formula to it and there's a right and a wrong and there's, you know, a way to process, like think through the process. Yeah, but I'm just wondering, you know, like why do you think it works so well for you? I. I am not someone, even now as an adult, I appreciate ambiguity, but just like down at the core of my being, I don't deal well with it. I don't deal with conflict. I like things to be black and white and clear. Uh, you know, speaking again about childhood memories, I, I remember asking my mom before a snowy day, you know, mom, what's the chance that school gets closed tomorrow? And, and no one knows that, right? You can't put a number on that. But as a kid, it was really important 
important for me to have a sense, like an exact percentage point of whether I was going to school the next day or not. Uh, and so just having things straightforward, uh, having checklists to, to tick off, um, knowing exactly where I was and having some confidence um, in having right answers and in not having wrong answers, all of those things were really important to me. Uh, even at, at, at a pretty young age, I was, I was pretty anxious about all of these things. And I think church and school, especially church, both gave me uh, environments where it was easy to tell if I was in the right or in the wrong. Uh, and I, I think I really gravitated to that. Yeah. And, and that's basically what I was getting at. And because I relate to it, <laughs> knowing exactly where the line was that you shouldn't cross, whether it's a theological line about beliefs or whether it was something like morality or what TV shows you should watch or what clothes you should wear, et cetera, et cetera. Knowing that there's like this, this formula of you follow this, and then this is the outcome. There's a lot of of uh, security and safety in that when it works for you, right? Absolutely. And you are in that process of, of thinking and shaping your life. So that brings me to my next question is, you know, how did Mormonism shape the kind of adult that you hope to be? Um, what kinds of things were you planning for for the future, whether it be a college, um, a mission, college, who you dated, where you got married, et cetera? You know, how was your forward thinking when you were a child about what kind of adult you were going to be? How did the church impact that? I, I think it impacted a lot. I think uh, I always had a vision. And, and frankly, up until very recently, I had a vision of this as a lifetime commitment. And so I was going to um, I was going to take the steps that, that, that were related to that. And so I, I really only applied to one college, uh, one university, and it was church-owned Brigham Young University. And I probably should have applied to a couple of others just in case, but I was lucky and, you know, got in um, because that's where I wanted to go. I, I'd grown up in Northern Kentucky. I was proud and excited to be the only Mormon in a lot of my classes, but I wanted to go and be among my people for a while. And uh, so, so I did that, and that was a really important part of my life. Um, and, you know, I, I, I look back, and there are things I might have done differently and, and things that I interpret a little bit differently now. It was, it, But in many ways, it was also a really great experience. That's where I met my partner. Um, I met a lot of good friends there, had a lot of good experiences. I, the, the same is true for the mission that I served in uh, eastern France and western Switzerland, western Switzerland being the, the French-speaking area of it. And... Uh, Again, you know, I look back and interpret a lot of those memories differently, but it was in, in some ways also a really great experience. I will still, um, you know, I gave you the warning about nerdiness earlier. Sometimes at work, if I just need some background noise, I will pull up a YouTube video of a train going through the Swiss countryside and just listen to the train tracks go and I will watch the, the, the beautiful countryside go by and think, oh, well, you know, ha had I been to this train station during my, my year in Switzerland? Um, and it, it just, it was, it was a great experience. Um, I think a lot of my anxieties about being in the right were also present there in a way that I didn't really, that I, I did recognize at the time. Uh, but later on, it became a little bit easier to realize how wound up I was about a few things and, and how uh, concerned I was that I do things right. Uh, and so even though 
Uh, my mission was a good experience. I found myself for you know nearly a decade afterwards still thinking back, did I do things right? Did I do things right? And it was kind of this mix of um, wonderful memories that came along with it, but also like an anxiety five, eight, nine years later, uh, wondering if I had measured up uh, during that time in my life. That's really significant. I mean, I, I know that a lot of folks will talk about anxiety on the mission. I did not serve a mission, but to have that follow you for that many years afterwards and still think, you know, did I do enough? Was I, did I do that right? That expands the pressure longer than I've heard most people talk about. So that's, that's significant. And I, yeah. And it, I mean, it wasn't every day. It certainly wasn't every week, but every couple of months that the thought would pop into my head. And yeah. there was a time uh, right around when I, I started to, to really think um, about my religious identity and about faith that I was reading a, a beautifully done mission memoir by someone who had done it in comic form and it was actually really difficult to read because all of the anxiety that this young woman had felt when she was serving as a missionary like i felt all of that come back to me in that moment even though it was years and years later um and it just it was it, it's a wonderfully done piece but it, there was something about where i was in that time um you know, starting to really starting to have some trouble in terms of beliefs and in terms of religious identity that that particular thing became especially difficult uh, in that moment. And I think it was maybe the first time that I realized that uh, things didn't have to be that way. Maybe things shouldn't be that way. And it, you know, I still bring up the Swiss train videos. I still have great memories of, of the time that I spent there and the friends that I made there. Uh, but but I that was one of the things where I had to start to ask myself if I had everything sorted right in my head and how I was thinking about religion. Yeah, well, and I know, again, I did not serve a mission, but I do know that a lot of folks are, those are questions that they face on their mission too. I know my spouse um, definitely faced those and he often will have reoccurring dreams that he's back on his mission and kind of stuck in this stage of, you know, starting to question, starting to doubt, feeling that religious scrupulosity weigh down on him all while he's trying to, you know, quote, share the gospel with others. And it is stressful. And he usually wakes up pretty grumpy when he has those dreams. Oh, it's tough. It's really tough. And yeah. So, so the mission, it sounds like there were some struggles on the mission. When you came back from your mission, I'm assuming you were still all gun ho about being LDS and absolutely continued uh, plan to continue on that path and get married in the temple, et cetera. So yep. uh, yeah, just keep, keep talking about your story. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I was gung ho. I was um, got married in the temple pretty shortly after that. And then it wasn't so my partner and I both finished our degrees at BYU and then eventually we moved to Michigan for uh, so that I could do graduate school there and eventually my partner uh, did a master's degree there as at the same time that I was doing my degree and so it, that ended up being great for both of us uh, and uh, Michigan was wonderful it was it was really lovely this graduate school became a time of transition in a lot of different places. So I had gone in after a short career as a French teacher, pretty short career, 
uh, and I was expecting to change careers and then careers ended up changing a little bit more than I even expected. And so like there were, there was professional transition during that time. It was also living in a new place. It was not home in the sense that it was not Kentucky. It was also not Utah. And so it was, it, it was a new place to, to live out our lives and, and figure things out it was transition in that sense. Uh, and then just also, you know, graduate school is, a bunch of really smart people pouring uh, really important ideas into your head and really reinviting you to to think differently about the world. Uh, I had research classes, you know, where we had to say what is truth, what is reality, really. Can we perceive these well enough to write it up in research? And, and that was really interesting in a sense that uh, you know I came to graduate school. Uh, with very strong opinions about truth and absolute truth and, and being able to understand things well, uh, not only from a religious sense, but again, you know, personally, I like things in nice, neat little boxes. Um, it is comforting to me to, to be able to have a grip on things and to be uh, invited to consider uh, how much is a little bit more ambiguous than than maybe we think it is, um, and uh, that, that, that was it was a real growth experience, but it was also difficult at certain times. Uh, and then also through, uh, I, I really appreciated being able to to serve in the church during my time in Michigan. Uh, loved those opportunities, but at the same time, there, there were uh, there were just decisions being made at church levels that that were a little bit difficult, and I was I was committed to. To writing them out, um, to being committed to sustaining, but I was also meeting queer Latter Day Saints for the first time, uh, for the first time that I knew of, at least, uh, and I was meeting, uh, you know, women and people of color who were struggling with the church, and I started to realize, in some ways, that uh, something that was terribly meaningful for me and really, really important for me was. It was becoming difficult, was even causing harm um, to, to some people, and that was really difficult to wrestle with. Um, I, I did not know how to deal with that all in graduate school. I, I benefited from participating in an online Mormon communities, um, often on the periphery, but uh, I, I, it, I was really grateful for people who modeled for me at that time uh, ways that uh, they reconciled the, the meaning that they found in a tradition with uh, disagreements that they had with the church. And that was, that was really hard for me to wrap my head around at first. Just the idea of disagreeing with the church was, that, that took me a long time to think that you could do that. Um, but I, I had good models for that. And so uh, for most of that time in graduate school, even though a lot of transition was happening, a lot of change was happening, I still felt like I was able to, to at least keep the, the, the basic shape of what I wanted the rest of my life to look like intact. That makes a lot of sense. So being introduced to a diverse type uh, of Mormon experience, right? Um, a diverse community of Latter-day Saints. It sounds like that really opened your eyes to the idea that what was uh, so certain and true and not ambiguous to you, suddenly it became ambiguous for you in through the lens of other people, uh, which again, I can absolutely relate to um, being, you know, a white straight girl from Provo, Utah. <laughs> so, 
so what kinds of things would you say were on your shelf? So this analogy, you know, that you have things that you struggle with in the LBS church. And if, if you struggle with it, you just kind of forget about it and put it quote unquote on your shelf. And then eventually the idea is that your shelf breaks and you are in, you know, full-blown faith crisis. So what would you say some of those issues were that you just kind of put on your shelf and maybe tried to keep, like you said, the shape intact? I, I think meeting queer Latter-day Saints, either in a literal sense, right? There were, there were a couple in the congregation that I was attending. Uh, I was, was happy to know both of them and just sitting with their experiences. And I'll be honest, I was not always good about sitting with their experiences instead of like trying to push back a little bit and, and keep us on the straight and narrow. And I, I have a lot of regrets about that. I don't have a lot of regrets about the life that I've lived up to this point, but when I've you know, caused harm to others, failed to be there for others, that those are things that I do have regrets about. Um, and just sitting with other people's experiences and seeing their pain in a, in a way that was opposed to the joy that I was feeling, or at least trying to feel that that was difficult. And it just, it wore on me after a while. And, you know, it was in Michigan that I became a parent and started to ask questions. Well, you know, what if my kid does not fit into one of these nice, neat little boxes? What am I going to do as a parent? What choice am I going to make at this point, right? And I had been, you know, pushing back against friends, kind of a jerk to friends who have, at least in one case, um, been charitable enough to forgive me since, but uh, something about bringing that into my family and asking, okay, so what if this happens really, really close to me? Uh, what choices am I going to make at that point? Uh, it started, I don't know, I, it's, I, I don't think it's something that I put on the shelf in, in necessarily the traditional sense of it, but it, I at least started to need to carve out some space for myself and think, okay, well, if, I'm gonna, if I am going to continue in this path, and that was still my commitment, um, at that point, I, I need to, to rethink how I do that. I need uh, to make sure that I am not causing pain to others, that I am serving other people instead of trying to tell them what to do, that I am uh, ministering to them rather than trying to teach them, right? Uh, instead of trying to get people on the right path, I want to, to start walking paths with them. Uh, that's that's a, a change that I need to make in how I think about my religion and the way that I serve other people. I really like the way that you phrase that because I absolutely had that moment in my life as well. And I have regrets um, of folks, you know, who I tried to get back on the straight and narrow or to try to uh, essentially gaslight them into, you know, trying to help them understand that it really isn't as bad as you think it is. Whereas right. like, of course, the lenses that I'm wearing are totally different for a variety mm. of reasons. <laughs> yeah. So I, I absolutely relate to that. So Spencer, it, this, this is a lot, right? And you said that you were becoming a parent at this time and you and your partner were um, in graduate school, were, you know, graduating, trying to, um, I'm assuming, find settlement in careers, et cetera. Yep. So there was just a lot of transition and a lot of uh, big life moments, all while you're trying to juggle this question of faith. So would you say that it ever got to the point, I don't know if you like the word faith crisis. I know it's kind of one of those things that's a little bit controversial in this 
in this uh, space, but would you have considered it a crisis at any point or was it just kind of a gradual transition out or uh, what, what did that look like? Just the process of facing the reality of your doubts of this um, ambiguous space that you were thrown into based on your relationships. Uh, yeah. What, what did that look like for you? So the, the way that I've been thinking about it is that my faith in transition was in some ways soft and slow and gentle up until it wasn't. <laughs> uh, that, that time that I spent in graduate school, that time that I spent in, in Michigan, not that it was anything particular in Michigan, that's just where I was living. Those, all of that time was a time of deconstruction and reconstruction in a way that was really helpful uh, and became important later on because I was setting foundation for something that I did not know uh, was yet to come. Because uh, after I graduated, after my partner and I both graduated, we got uh, this job here in Kentucky and uh, moved here and thought, okay, we, you know, I've done the deconstruction, I've done the reconstruction, we're doing great now. But uh, then, um, you know, I, I had a really bad January <laughs> where just like a few different things happened all at once. Um, I, my daughter was reaching an age where my own imperfections as a parent were becoming really obvious. Uh, and I was in a job that I did not expect to have during graduate school. I love my job. It's wonderful. Uh, but I thought that I was going to be an education professor. I'm a full up technology professor. And the first year on the job came with a lot of imposter syndrome, a lot of wondering, do I even belong here? Did they make a mistake when they hired me? Uh, and then around the same time, I was asked to take some responsibility in our new Latter-day Saint congregation, uh, working with young people. And that just really raised some new questions. Uh, do I feel comfortable teaching this in class? Um, is, 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 is this something that I can do? And at the same time, you know, my partner is having some questions of her own, um, resolving them in her own way. And for her, it's becoming a little bit more clear <laughs> what she's going to do. And it's probably going to be a stepping away from the church. And so what does that mean for me? Uh, what does that mean for our, our kid? Um, just all of a sudden, a whole bunch of things poured on me at once. And I would absolutely use the, the term faith crisis at that point, because it felt like as much reconstruction and deconstruction that I had previously done, I was now, I felt like I was now being faced with a threat to my, I don't know, for the, for the first time, I felt like I am no longer a good Latter-day Saint. And that felt like failure. And I was already feeling a little bit of failure as a parent. I was feeling some failure at work. And to, to have it happen in this third important area of my life too, uh, just, I, it, I needed some time. Um, and I needed to, to really sit down and think things through because a lot of my previous beliefs about who I was and who I was going to be for the rest of my life seemed to not hold up to the ideals um, that I, I had set up for myself. And so it was time to, to really start reevaluating at that point. That sounds really rough because like you said, your, a lot of your worth had come from church. You were the little boy that was resisting a vacation over general conference weekend. And then to suddenly find yourself on the wrong side of that line that you knew existed. Uh, that's really, really tough. Even if, you know, your testimony isn't what it was, or, you know, your beliefs have shifted. It's a whole cultural 
uh, identity that then suddenly you're like, whoa, this is who I have been my entire life. Now, who am I? So, um, yeah. And, and that's one reason why I appreciate or identify with the word faith crisis, because for me, it was also a crisis, um, a complete crisis of, of identity really. So. Yeah. And I, I appreciate you saying that, that last part I was, um, I was, Journaling is a big sp spiritual practice for me. It's something I've done for almost all of my life. I, I don't think I used the word spiritual practice to describe it earlier, but um, a pastor loaned that word to me to describe what I do with journaling. And, and I think it's great. So uh, I was flipping through some of the things that I had written in the early days of this uh, to, to prepare for this discussion that we're having. And just early on, I recognized, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I wrote down, I'm not sure this is a faith crisis so much as an identity crisis. I think it's both at the same time. So I, I appreciate you bringing that up because it, it was absolutely how I felt in the moment. Yeah, well, and I, I think it's interesting because when you look at religions, there are some that are, you know, the buy-in is deeper and uh, some folks that, you know, maybe just become Easter and Christ, uh, Christmas Christians, you know, where they go when it's convenient or when there's a holiday and they're culturally part of the community. But with Mormonism, I mean, if you're all in, it really does impact everything about you, uh, including your worth. And so if that starts to crumble, then your worth and your purpose completely can crumble as well, which is really traumatic. And so again, to be doing, to be going through that while you're trying to be a parent, which again, I relate to, it's just, it's a lot. And there's so much to uh, unpack. And when you're trying to then also raise a child and have a career, et cetera, like it's it, crisis, man, it, it's a crisis. <laughs> so from there, I mean, did, how did you discover community of Christ? Um, what was that transition like? I mean, did you, I'm curious because I don't know the answer to this, but did you leave officially and then find community of Christ or was it a lot more crossover where you were still trying to remain in, but were curious? I mean, what, what did that process look like? So th there was a huge amount of crossover. I was, I, I was trying to cover all my bases for a long time because I, I still felt so invested in that identity. And I, I was wondering, um, you know, could I make this work in, in a way, again, I had had a lot of modeling uh, from people in online Mormonism of people who had found uh, ways to make it work and I admired and still admire them. And I, part of me really, really wanted to take that route. Um, and I still think about that a lot, to be honest with you. But to, to flash back a little bit, shortly before moving to Kentucky, uh, I, I had this moment of realization that, that sounds kind of silly. Um, in hindsight. In Michigan, in East Lansing, Michigan, on Grand River Avenue, right right on the route that my bus took me into campus, there was a building that had the words Community of Christ on it. I, I think it's a campus ministry center uh, for MSU. And so I would see this every once in a while, maybe from the bus or maybe from the car. Uh, but in my naive little mind, I knew that Community of Christ existed. I'd been to Kirtland. I'd been to the Kirtland Temple. I knew that this cousin faith was out there. But in my mind, uh, Community of Christ only existed in Independence, in Kirtland, and in Nauvoo. And so I was like, oh, how interesting that here in Michigan, there's this other denomination also named Community of Christ that has the same name as this denomination that I'm vaguely familiar with. And so for... A long time passing this building, I thought, 
you know, that's so interesting. Eventually, I put two and two together and I realize, um, which sounds ridiculous now, that I, I know that there's a huge community of Christ presence in Michigan. Of course, it's the same community of Christ uh, that I had been familiar with. And so I realized this kind of late and just sort of out of intellectual curiosity, I look up Community of Christ on Wikipedia. I do a little bit of reading. I promptly forget about it because, you know, it's a Sunday afternoon on Wikipedia. It's not that much of a, a commitment. But then, flash forward, you know, nine months later, I'm in this midst of uh, crisis, if that, you know, well, let's keep using that word. That There's just a thought that pops into my head, right? Um, that, hey, Spencer, you've read about this denomination before. You know just the briefest amount of things about them, but it might be worth uh, reading a little bit more. So sometime a couple of months after it feels like things are, are falling apart, um, this thought pops into my head and I do my tech nerd thing and I just scour the internet for everything that I can find. And so I find the Project Zion podcast. I find a wonderful booklet called Continuing Your Discipleship in Community of Christ, which I just read as quickly as I can. Um, and I, I look up the things that I can. I entertain this idea for a while. And then eventually I start to take more steps. It, it's interesting because I think a lot of folks think that they can't begin to explore other things until they're actually out or until they close one door. But the reality is, is that you can do whatever you want, right? <laughs> like it's your spiritual life yeah. and uh, you are at con in control of it. And so the fact that you were um, still trying to make it work. And I'm glad that you acknowledge that you still kind of wrestle with this in-between space because there are some really important placeholders in that fringe area of Mormonism that are really working hard to help the church be more inclusive and honest and transparent and trying to figure out, do you want to be an active participant in that community, or do you want to leave it behind, or do you want to go somewhere else and still try to try to straddle that community? It, it's a lot of energy and, you know, so it's, it, there's important decisions to be made. And so to know that you're still wrestling with it, uh, I know that there's a lot of people who are wrestling with those questions too. And, and where do you want to put your emotional energy? And at the end of the day, what feeds you? Where do you encounter God? Where can you do the most good? Um, those are really big questions to carry. So yeah. yeah, I did not realize though that you had done that much research on Community of Christ before uh, you showed up, at least at Ford with Community. Uh, but I know you do have a local congregation. So I'm curious to know what the timeline was between coming to forward with community and checking out your local congregation, et cetera. How did, how did that play out? So local-ish. Uh, so I live in Lexington, Kentucky. There was a congregation in Lexington, Kentucky, but just weeks before, maybe months before, uh, I had seriously started looking into Community of Christ. A decision was made to close the congregation and to merge it with uh, one of a couple different congregations in Louisville, Kentucky. So, uh, so I reached out, you know, to the local pastor. I was like, great, there's a local congregation. Uh, he connects me with a mission center president who connects me with the pastor of another congregation. They explain the situation. And so in I, my partner and I decided to 
we're going to drive out one Sunday. Uh, this is about an hour, hour and 15 minutes away from where we live. Um, and that's weighing on my mind a little bit as I, I'm considering this, you know, is this really sustainable? Uh, and we drive out to Louisville, we visit, and we just have uh, a wonderful time uh, with the congregation. They have been just absolutely welcoming the whole time uh, to me. And uh, my daughter often comes with me. Um, my partner has taken a different route on her faith transition, and we're very mutually self-supportive, uh, mutually supportive. Uh, in our respective faith transitions, but that, that that actually, you know, you were talking earlier about uh, trying to decide where to invest your energy. What what space do you want to live in, in the different spaces that are available to you uh, during and after a faith transition? And ultimately, you know, my family had a lot to do with it. And I, I quickly realized that Community of Christ as a denomination, but also this particular congregation were places where I could spend time with my daughter and share um, a religious experience with her that was not going to be threatening uh, to my non-religious partner, that was not going to force my daughter to, to choose between us or send um, messages to her about what her family was like now that not everyone was participating in the same uh, tradition that was that was really really important to me, and also it was you know very important for my mental health to feel like I could be in that space. Um, I think those were the big drivers for me for for deciding that this congregation and and more largely this denomination were where I wanted to put my emotional effort, where I wanted to to, to live among all these spaces. I think it was maybe a week after that visit that I attended Forward with Community for the first time. So at the same time, I'm. I'm checking out the, the local-ish congregation, and then I'm also interested in this online ministry that's happening. And, and that was also just a, a beautiful, wonderful experience right away, you know, realizing that this was a space where I could set aside some of the anxieties that I had had before, but still also hold on to uh, everything, well, maybe not everything, but like the, the most important parts of what had been meaningful uh, to me in my previous religious life. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And Gosh, what timing to contact the <laughs> pastor right as they decided to close the local congregation, but then also to find forward with community um, with other, you know, transitioning Mormons around that same time. So you have the local-ish congregation uh, that's, I'm assuming, made up of primarily lifelong community of Christ or longtime community of Christ folks, and then yes. you have the online space that's kind of trying to bridge that gap a little bit. I am curious to know just what some of your first impressions were about either either group. Um, you know, what what was different than you expected? What were you curious about? What kinds of things were like, you know, made you keep coming back, et cetera? Just what were your impressions? I, I don't think I realized how much I needed to hear a message of grace. Not to be able to think of God in a way where acceptance comes first and then encouragement comes after to know to, to, to not have to worry so much if I was good enough for God. Um, that, that was just tremendously important to me. And, you know, one thing that I noticed is how not that they were wildly different, but Forward With Community is a different group than my local congregation. And that was great <laughs> in a sort of way, uh, because I 
may not agree with everything that's said in Forward with Community. I may not agree with everything that's said in the local congregation, but the, the, the coexistence of both of those sent a clear message to me that I didn't have to feel so much pressure before. Uh, so going back to times when I was deconstructing and reconstructing, when I noticed myself getting out of sync uh, with my fellow congregation members in Michigan, that was a source of worry to me. Like, am I doing something wrong because I disagree with the people that are around me? And it, so it was mostly a fleeting thing, but um, I would write this down in my journal sometimes that I was, I was concerned about it, that I was getting out of sync. And, and understanding that community of Christ as a whole is a place where multiple views, multiple perspectives are encouraged. That was great for me, first of all, because I was still figuring out what my perspectives were. <laughs> and second, because I, I felt some confidence that they could change and that they could be different than other people's, um, but that I would still be welcomed as part of the community, that I would still uh, have a role to play in the, the groups that I was participating in. That for me was a massive culture shock, but I culture shock sounds like it's something that, you know, was kind of on the surface, but it, it's like the doctrinal shock too, right? Yeah. <laughs> that you can have deep disagreements or uh, believe in a very different version of Christ even, or, you know, your Christology or how you imagine God, or, I mean, there can be very big disagreements and hopefully nobody's going to, uh, you know, try to pound a belief out of you or a poundable, uh, a view out of you. And that you can sit with somebody on zoom or in a pew and just have a different perspective. And it's not a threat. And one of you is not wrong. And <laughs> to contrast that from, you know, a more religious scrupulosity place of feeling like you have to always live up, that you have to always be worthy, that you have to answer the questions, right. Uh, the, the gap between those two places is just so big and it can be stressful. I mean, it, it really can be, it's liberating, but it can also be stressful and just feel like you are totally free falling. So yeah, it, it's intriguing, but also terrifying. <laughs> At least it was for me. Yeah. So as you continue to attend, I know now that you are a confirmed member of Community of Christ. So what did that process to, to confirmation look like? How long were you journeying with the church before you officially decided to join? And then maybe can you talk about some of your hangups? Were there any hangups joining um, the church? So um, I mentioned before that I, I was kind of playing both ways for a while. I, I visited the, the local community of Christ congregation a couple of times, um, but was usually attending my LDS ward. I was attending forward with community that didn't conflict. And so like I could, I could do that as much as I wanted. Uh, and I was still trying to figure things out. And this is kind of horrible to say the pandemic made things really easy. A lot of terrible things happened out of the pandemic, but you know, one week I was teaching the men's lesson in my LDS congregation. And the next week, I had no obligation to go to church anymore. And it wasn't, um, it was, it was kind of freeing because I, I, before that I had felt this pressure that I needed to do both and do both well so that I could figure out uh, which of these two paths I was considering um, was going to be the right one. And then all of a sudden, uh, some of those obligations disappeared. And 
So I, I did some poking around for a couple of months. I attended the Toronto Beyond the Walls congregation, and then I eventually realized that my local congregation was doing Zoom meetings. And so uh, I jumped in and did that with them, and it was just wonderful, and I felt so welcomed. And so from that point on, um, I don't remember when my LDS ward started meeting again, but I, I had kind of figured out at that point that um, Community of Christ was where I wanted to be, the place that was good for me to be, the place that was good for my family for me to be. Uh, and then after that, I was always thinking about confirmation, but um, I still needed some time. Like this, this was still a decision that for a huge amount of my life had seemed unthinkable. And so as much as I loved being in that space, I, I put some pressure on myself to make sure that I was doing it right. Um, and so I took time, you know, I prayed, I studied, and it was always in the back of my mind that confirmation was a possibility. And then I just, I let myself take it slow. I didn't pressure myself into anything. And then eventually, I think it was right before a forward with community meeting, <laughs> I said, I'm going to email my pastors and I'm going to say, look, this is something I'm interested in, in, in pursuing. And so we did, um, I sat down with them. We did some, you know, very informal classes, basically whatever I wanted to talk about, just to make sure that uh, I felt comfortable about it and that, you know, I think they were pretty comfortable with the idea from the beginning. But uh, then about, so at that point, it had been about a year and a half that I had been regularly attending this congregation, and I went for it, and I was confirmed. And how was that experience? I'm guessing that by this point, you were back in person with your local congregation, so that that confirmation happened face-to-face. The confirmation happened face-to-face, -face, uh, but my congregation has been great about allowing, allowing Zoom worship since then, uh, especially because, you know, there's a cluster of us here in Lexington that we don't have our own congregation anymore. It, it just does not make sense for all of us to drive out there every week. Uh, and we've been really, really grateful for all the hard work that our congregation has put into making sure uh, that we can continue to attend remotely. But you know what? I decided that I wanted to be confirmed in person. I was intrigued by the possibility of being <laughs> confirmed uh, from a distance, but uh, it was important for me to be there in person and, and to, to go and do that. Yeah, that makes sense. Having uh, been part of both online and in-person confirmation, it's not like one is better than the other. But if there's an opportunity to hang out face-to-face, <laughs> you know, afterwards, before, during, and after. I think that um, most folks would agree that that, that that is preferred. So I'm glad that you were able to have that opportunity. So what has your life looked like since you joined? I know it hasn't been very long, but um, I'm, I'm curious to know if there are things you've been able to get involved with in your local community or just online conversations that you've been able to have with folks. Um, but yeah, what does your quote unquote church life look like now? So uh, I attend most weeks over Zoom. Um, some, you know, some weekends we're traveling and I, I don't show up and that, that it, that's different than how I used to think about church. I'd feel a lot of guilt for missing something. And as much as I love my congregation, there's also something freeing about feeling like, oh, we're traveling this week, we're driving during church and I could dial into Zoom, but, um, you know, maybe it's not the end of the world if I don't. So, uh, but uh, Sunday mornings, my daughter and I log into Zoom. We do a lot of coloring while the, the, the sermon is going on and it's a load of fun. 
So that is great. Uh, in terms of congregation life, uh, starting in January, I've been helping out with a new website for the congregation, which is fun for me uh, because I get to dust off and improve some skills that are a little rusty. Um, and hopefully it'll be good for the, the congregation as well. Um, and again, you know, one of the first things that I did when I was thinking about Community of Christ is I found everything online that I could. And so part of me thinks, I, I don't know if there's anyone else out there uh, who is also wondering if there are Community of Christ congregations in Kentucky for them to visit, but I want there to be something there. Um, so something not only for the congregation, but also an outward presence. I'm moving a little slower on that than I would like to be, but it's a lot of fun work to do that. Uh, on Thursdays, my daughter, uh, attends a children's book club, which is just the perfect children's ministry for our family. Like it, it checks off all of our needs. Even though there are different religious beliefs in my family, we share core values. And th this is a kind of children's ministry that hits those values perfectly every week. And it's a wonderful way. It was especially wonderful when the pandemic was um, raging a little bit more and our kid did not get a lot of interaction with other kids. Uh, but even now, it's something that we just all look forward to. It, it, it fits our needs perfectly. And then on uh, Saturday mornings, if I have the time, which we're a busy family, so I don't always get the time, but uh, the Beyond the Walls congregation in Toronto has a Book of Mormon discussion group, and I just love that. Um, it was important for me to hold on to the Book of Mormon, not in the same way that I grew up in, but to hold on to it as a text and to learn to read it in new ways and to, to let it inspire me uh, in, in different ways, but still in, in uh, ways that continue to be important to me. And so if I get a chance, I pop in there and you know, a bunch of different people with a bunch of different perspectives on the Book of Mormon. I'm learning to read the text in new ways. Um, it's a whole lot of fun. I really appreciate uh, all of those different things that are a part of my week. That is exciting. And uh, as a parent of someone who is also involved with that book club, I <laughs> echo my appreciation. And uh, I know it was a really good thing for my little kiddo when we were in the early, early weeks of the pandemic as well, because um, I definitely recognize that it takes a village to instill good values into children. And so when their community disappeared, it was really easy for adults to hop on Zoom, et cetera. Um, but we kind of lost that village for our mm -hmm. kids. And so to have, you know, this core group of five to 10 kids spread out all over the United States, being able to read uh, books together that have, you know, common values and, um, that I want to teach my kids has been really helpful. And I know Grant just always talks about his little book club buddies. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been so really good. And, and, oh. Go ahead. No, you go. I think one of my favorite things is when we go to the library and I'm picking out a book or my partner is picking out a book and our, our kid looks at it and says, oh, we've read that in kids book club. Like, because th that just tells me, okay, we're on the same wavelength here. Like this is what we need as a family. This is what we want as a family. And it, it's great for me uh, because I am sharing a religious experience uh, with my kid. But at the same time, it's something that I know is compatible with our, our broader family and the diversity within our family. That's, that's so important to me. And, um, you know, I love my Sunday activities, but th that Thursday Kids Book Club plays a special role in, in Community of Christ experiences in our family. It is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. And I, I do think for me, the 
books and the delivery of the books probably comes different from the ministers who are doing that, as opposed to if I were just to say, hey, kids, let's pull this book out, you know, I mean, I'm not as cool as <laughs> the book club. So, oh, that's great. And I actually, uh, thanks for putting the plug in for the Beyond the Walls uh, Book of Mormon discussion, because I will admit that reframing the Book of Mormon is not something that I've spent a lot of time doing but I know that I need to. And it's like this shadow lurking in the back around <laughs> like, Brittany, you need to address this. And I truthfully think that the, uh, there's no other community that I'd rather do it with than the beyond the walls community. So I need to start attending, uh, those discussion groups for sure, because I, I just, I don't know how to put those pieces back together. Like, I, I don't think I can do them on my own. And so to have a community who is, discussing diverse viewpoints about the Book of Mormon. I, that's exactly what I need. So thank you for that plug. <laughs> yeah, of course. I, th I think, you know, the Book of Mormon is is a hard thing for a lot of people to wrestle with. Um, just because I have a great love for it doesn't mean I reckon, you know, I, I still recognize that it's, it's difficult for other folks. I'm not trying to impose my love for the book on anybody, but I, I think there's so much potential in there, right? There, there are chapters that you can re read as queer affirming. There mm -hmm. are chapters that you can read as as challenging the idea of the necessity of authority um, to connect with God. And these ways that I never learned to read the text as a child, but they are in there and they are powerful and they are great. Um, I, I think there's so much potential in there. I'm still learning it. There are still, you know, issues with the book that, that we have to wrestle with at the same time that we're doing that. But it's a it's a great love of mine, and I'm I'm grateful for the chance to do that uh, in Community of Christ to to continue to spend time with the book and wrestle with it. Yeah, and and I just want to say real quick that I do appreciate that there are different ways to read it. I know folks that find a lot of liberation theology, and like you said, that it can be queer affirming, or that it is. Uh, you know, the, the message of equality and, you know, income equality, et cetera. Like those messages are very prevalent through the book. And so if we can find a way to reclaim that book in a way that is healthy and also acknowledges, you know, healthy while acknowledging the problems in it, um, I think is, is really important. And honestly, again, something that I, as a Latter-day Seeker minister need to do more. <laughs> so you will likely see me on those Saturday mornings every once in a while as well, because I could use it. <laughs> so Spencer, this has been really interesting uh, to get to know you a little bit better. And um, it's, it's just so interesting because, you know, like we've never met in person and yet you feel like a great friend. Your daughter feels like a great friend, right? Like I see her every week on book club as well. And uh, it's just, I don't know. I'm just grateful for this group of, of Latter-day Seekers who have come from the LES church, who uh, don't necessarily want to move completely away from the restoration tradition and are trying to uh, reclaim the things that, that work for them, the beliefs that work for them, all while trying to uh, view this in a, in, a, in a way that is healthier for them, that can uh, you know, bring peace into their own communities. So thank you for sharing your story. And I am curious to know, uh, what are your hopes for Community of Christ as you, you know, have really 
deep, took a, taken a deep dive into everything that you could find online and you've had different um, experiences with, you know, at least what, four different groups between Book Club Toronto, Board with Community, your local congregation. Um, what, what are some of the hopes that you see and then, or the hopes that you have, and then uh, what would you tell other Latter-day Seekers who are looking into Community of Christ? Well, let me start by also thanking you. I haven't done a good enough job of talking up forward with community and, and you and everyone else there who has become real friends for me. Now, as I've been in a more comfortable place, I haven't been attending as much as earlier, partly because um, partly because of time zones, I'll be perfectly honest with you. But well, that, uh, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, forward with community has just been a tremendous resource for me. Uh, you know, of the four groups that you mentioned, I have experienced every one of those groups online. Uh, I love face-to-face -face church, but I am so excited for the ways that we as a faith community are figuring out what we can do over great distances. Um, that it just fits in with experiences I've had, you know, online friendships that I've kept for, for a long time and uh, for, you know, <laughs> even the work that I do at work, uh, describing how people do meaningful things with online technologies. I'm really excited for uh, the direction that we go with that. I hope we never have to let go of face-to-face -face experiences. I would love to, you know, to see more face-to-face -face experiences happen in Lexington so that I could have those more often. But at the same time, it's great to see us um, be flexible and, and see what we can do uh, with the opportunities that we have before us. I'm, I have a lot of hope in our efforts to be a peace and justice denomination uh, I've said to other people before that one of the reasons I chose to come into Community of Christ was because it was a place that would push me more in that direction rather than a place that I needed to push in a direction because I know I have so much work uh, left to do. I am trying, but I, I have a lot to learn and a lot to do. And I take a lot of inspiration, not just in church on Sundays, but thinking how could I get involved with my community that feels like something church wants me to do. Um, so that's an exciting thing for me. Uh, in particular, my nerdy little corner of the world, I'd love to see us combine those some. There are peace and justice issues involving modern technologies and involving the internet. I think as we as a denomination get more and more excited about both of those, it makes sense for us to, to bring it together um, and to, to figure out what we can do um, to, to make a more just world on the World Wide Web, if you will. So th those are some of the great hopes that I see, the things that I'm excited for in the future. If I were to talk to other Latter-day Seekers, I, I'd go back to something that I said earlier and just emphasize that Community of Christ is a space that you can turn into the space that you need it to be. There, sometimes I hang out in the, the subreddit for Community of Christ and there are folks who pop in and they'll say, interested in community, community of Christ, but, you know, is such and such a thing required? Do I have to believe this and that or the other? And the, the, the answers come each time. There's so much flexibility here for you to bring what you're looking for. I think we can, you know, we can provide some of that. Um, and I think just knowing that there is grace in this space, there's flexibility in this space that maybe you spend a week here, maybe you, you find a place that you want for the rest of your life, but whatever you're looking for, 
chances are that you can find some of that here. And whatever you're worried about, chances are that that's not going to be important here. Ah, that last line, it was so good. And that's, that's my hope in all of the ministry that we do, uh, particularly with Latter-day Seekers, is that <laughs> helping them understand that this community can be what they make of it. And um, the last part that you said of the things that you're worried about probably aren't going to be important here. I have found that to be true time and time and time again. And again, that can be so hard to wrap your mind around when those things are super duper duper important in the LDS church. But the reality is, is that you don't have to hang on to everything and you don't have to let go of everything. And as long as your core values are aligned with us at some point, like you're going to be able to find a place here. Uh, so yeah, thank you for the way that you articulated that. That was really, that was really great. Um, do you, do you have any final thoughts? I usually like to just leave, um, an open-ended question at the end of, of, was there anything that you wanted to share that you didn't get a chance to, uh, but yeah, any final thoughts? No, I think that's everything. I really appreciate this, uh, opportunity to chat with you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Spencer. And uh, we will definitely be seeing more of you on the internet. <laughs> Thanks, Brittany. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use. And while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines. 